Welcome to Destiny Spirit Church. This week's message is by our senior pastor, Donna Astern. Tonight I want to talk to you about decoding kingdom secrets. If you'd open your Bibles, please, to Matthew 13. We're living in a time of reformation, a time of change. There's a lot of restructuring that's going on. I mean, you may have noticed it within the church, certainly within our local church, there's a lot of change. Restructuring has been going on, and even in some of our personal lives, we've experienced a lot of change. What God is after in Reformation, what God is after is a change to return us to His original intent and original design. So whatever type of pressure that you and I are feeling to change, or things just not like the way they used to be, there's restructuring going on, You know, it's just like it's a new game. It's a new way of doing things. Understand that we're going from season to season, but we're the end result of every season and of every work of reformation is kingdom lifestyle. You know, kingdom lifestyle. The kingdom of God is meant to permeate every part of our lives and every part of the earth. And so there's going to be things many times that the kingdom of God, when it comes, it brings violence into some places of your life. There are some places when the kingdom of God comes, it comes forcefully and it's causing changes in us, right? As we're learning to adapt and respond as according to the instructions of the word of God. And so for us to better understand what's going on, we need to look at the principles of the word. You know, so much of the time when you and I are in times of transition, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I was teaching, um, what, three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago on transition. And so many of us are in transition And it just seems to be the story of our lives here, at least for the last couple of years, if not longer. Just transition, transition, transition. It's like, when is it ever going to end? Where are we going to get there? And so it's important for us to, as we grow and mature in the things of God, we begin to understand some of the principles of transition, what's happening, but also understand what's happening in Reformation. And God is after bringing kingdom lifestyle, no matter what your circumstances are. You know, for much of the time, I think everybody was just waiting for the right guy to get elected president, for the right, you know, this or that to happen, and then we'll have the nice, happy kingdom lifestyle. But, you know, the kingdom is meant to work in tough times. It's meant to work in difficult times. If it doesn't work there, it doesn't work anywhere, you know. And so some of the things that you and I are going through right now is because God is working on building a kingdom lifestyle, not just a kingdom whimsical lifestyle. And there's too many Christians out here that they live and they serve God as long as it's nice, as long as it's fun, as long as everything's going well. When God's not after greenhouse, hothouse Christians who only do well under certain ideal circumstances. Hello. But God's after a kingdom lifestyle that overcomes, perseveres, and triumphs no matter what the circumstances. That was good preaching, y'all. Y'all missed it, but it was good. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'll give you another shot here in a minute. All right. (laughs) Matthew 13. You know, Jesus, we're going to be in Matthew 13 and also Mark chapter 4 for the most part. Let's look at verse 34 of Matthew 13. It says, All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. He did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden, 
since the foundation of the world. Do you know Jesus intentionally, deliberately, on purpose, spoke in encrypted truth. He didn't come right out plain and explain things, but on purpose, he used metaphor, similitude, all kinds of colorful and encrypted mystery speech, and then said, guys, figure it out. And sometimes they were like, "Uh, would you explain that last one to us one more time? We didn't quite, we know those guys, they probably didn't get it for sure, but we'd like a little better understanding ourselves. Sounded kind of funny. But Jesus, he, he spoke only to the crowds in parables. He didn't bother to explain the parables to the crowds. He only gave them the encrypted truth, but it was to the disciples he gave them understanding. Look at verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? I mean, Jesus, wouldn't your ministry grow? And wouldn't it be a lot easier and simpler if everybody understood what you were talking about? Why don't you just, I mean, couldn't you just dumb it down a little bit? (laughs) So people would get it? No. I mean, it's a logical question, right? Why not? Jesus says, verse 11, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. That's hard talk. To you it has been granted to know. Jesus deliberately spoke an encrypted truth so that they wouldn't get it, but so that his disciples would have to persevere and that they would get it. It was encoded so that these principles would not be understood by people that weren't authorized to use them. You see, the truth of God's word was encoded so there was no illegal access. Do you know that the Bible is available in any bookstore that you go in today? But do you know that the only people that understand it are those who have been given the Spirit of God to understand it? Because an atheist can read the Bible and say, that don't make any sense to me, and they won't get anything out of it. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. How many of you ever talked to somebody who didn't know the Lord, but read some Bible and decided, well, that doesn't mean anything, and didn't know anything? But it took the Spirit of God to bring understanding of what the Scriptures teach. Isn't that right? Sure, that's what the Bible says. So, the disciples, however, Jesus said, to you it has been granted. It's like the disciples got the secret decoder ring. (laughs) Maybe when you were a kid, (laughs) you got the box of cereal and it had the secret decoder on the inside. And uh, back from from the 1930s all the way through, I think the 1970s, 80s, somewhere, that there different companies offered secret decoders. Now there was, you know, not so much secret decoder ring, but that was kind of the myth that sprung up from it. But the thing was, you get an encoded message, and you had to use a secret decoder to match up the letters with the letters they really meant to find out what the secret message was. And so. Uh, it was an advertising gimmick that was used by some companies over the years, and and it w- it intrigued all the little kids because it was kind of fun. Ooh, you could find out what the secret hidden you know thing was because you had your secret decoder. Well, Jesus tells the disciple, "You guys get the secret decoder. You guys are going to have an understanding of something that the mass mass of people are not going to grasp." Verse twelve. 
Jesus says, For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Abundance. Abundance is the flower going from the bud to the full blossom to the fragrance. This is the full, complete, mature work. It's not the initial seed stage. It's a full work of what God intends for our lives. It's the, Jesus is telling the disciples that if you've got a little bit, you're going to begin to grow in your spirituality. You're going to go from the seed form, from the bud stage of what the Word of God is doing within you as you advance in the kingdom. It's going to begin to manifest until more and more and more. It takes shape, takes form, and then you become a walking, living, breathing example of the kingdom of God. That's what he's talking about. It's not talking about how you got a new house and a new car and money in the bank. It's talking about the kingdom of God having been fully fleshed out within your life. Folks, this is what we get, out, get after. Jesus said the kingdom of God was not just in food and drink, right? But righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. God is after believers who know how to live a kingdom lifestyle no matter what's going on in the economy, what's going on in the government, what's going on in your family or on your job or at school, wherever you are, God's after people who overcome and who rule and reign because they've allowed the kingdom of God to transform them from the inside out. I want you to get this tonight. You got your decoder? Get this tonight. Understand when somebody plants seed in the ground, what's he looking for? He's looking for a harvest, right? When the Lord God has sent his word into the earth, when he sent Jesus, he was looking for a harvest. He's looking for a payoff, isn't that right? He's looking for a multitude of transformed lives and good works and the power of God. He's looking for transformation from the seed that he has sown in the earth. All right. We need to be more concerned about what God's getting than what he's given. You know, I think that in modern Christianity here in America, we spend a lot of times, you know, unduly focused upon what you're going to get from God. I know people that, you know, came to church and decided to become a Christian because God was going to heal them. He was going to make them wealthy. He's going to put their family back together. And then it didn't happen as fast as they thought it was going to, or maybe it didn't happen at all. Then they decided not to serve God anymore. You know, we don't need to serve God for what he can do for us. That's a backwards picture. The picture is he's already done for us. He has delivered us from wrath, given us eternal life. How about we pay him back? You understand what I'm saying? He's looking for fruit on the earth. That's something that resonates with the sacrifice he has already provided for us. He's looking for something. Our, the reason that you and I are still here on planet earth is to give glory to God. It's that our lives are to give glory and witness to what he has done. So you know what? God is glorified when I get healed. God is glorified when I evangelize. God is glorified when I cast out devils. God is glorified when I resist temptation and walk in patience, right? And this is a side benefit if I get blessed. The primary thing is that he is getting a reward for his suffering. Amen. Amen? 
That's what it's about, folks. Let's get off of this. Well, God, I want to get Christian, become a Christian and come to church so I can get my bills paid and get my body healed. And that's a side benefit. Praise God, you ain't going to hell. Praise God, God wants to lavish his love upon you and show you what it is to be a son and daughter of Almighty. This is a higher call. And there are too many Christians that are stuck in just the nasty here and now lifestyle. And this, and the Bible says, if we're only concerned with this life, we're of all men to be pitied. Right? Isn't that what it says? If, we're, if our reward is in this life, I'm telling you, law, if this is it, if this is it, that sucks. Yep. <laughs> right? <Yep. laughs> now that I've offended everybody, let's move forward. <laughs> Verse 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. There are righteous people who did not get it. Righteous people who wanted to look into the deeper things of God who were not allowed because the time was not right. The decoding of parables is not an automatic product of righteousness. There are Christians, and they have read the Bible, and they only get a little bit. They only get a little bit of understanding. I've talked to Christians, and they say the Bible's too hard to understand. No, it's not. It's not hard to understand. It's not hard at all. The Bible says that God is it's the, the glory of a king to hide. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. These things are hidden that we may search them out. Some people are just lazy. That's all. Don't want to search it out. But what, what's happened here is when we hear with our, we see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and understand with our heart, and then we would return and things would be changed. When we have true revelation of the scriptures, we have revelation of the principles of the word of God, it changes you. It changes how you live, doesn't it? You get a revelation that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It changes how you pray, doesn't it? It changes how you present yourself, doesn't it? Right? Revelation is intended to change the way that we function on the earth. You know, for years, I didn't have a revelation of righteousness. So I was just the, you know, a poor pitiful me, scuzzy worm, you know, sinner, blah, 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 all that stuff. Until I awakened to righteousness, began to understand what the scriptures taught about righteousness, and then no longer functioned under that type of an oppressive mindset and begin to function more accurately according to what the scriptures teach, that we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so therefore, it comes, we come boldly to the throne of grace, not wimping and whining and scripping and scraping and that stuff, but we come with boldness because of righteousness. So revelation changes the way that you function. 
And when we get revelation of the parables that Jesus is teaching us, it will change how we live. It will change how you think, how you process, how you handle adversity, how you handle challenges. Now, some people were just like the crowds that listened to Jesus, and they heard the stories that he taught, and they thought, oh, wasn't that a neat story? That's a nice story. You know, if it's just a nice story, it makes you go, ooh and ah. Well, that was clever. Wasn't that a clever story? Oh, nice story. You know, most of the crowds walked away from Jesus thinking that. What a nice storyteller. Wonder what, you know, it's like Nickelodeon in the afternoon or something. It's like, nice story. Let's go hear another story. And that's all it was to the crowds was entertainment. But to the disciples and those who began to seek it out, they said, this is not just a story. He's telling us something here. He's telling us something that if we will apply ourselves to it, it will change the way that we live. He's telling us something that he knows how he operates. You see, when Jesus is telling stories, he's given us insight into how he lives, into how he thinks, into how he works miracles into how he raised the dead and heals the sick and cast out devils, and how that he had his needs met, and how that he could sleep in the middle of a storm. We'll begin to understand what's going on by listening to the very parables that he taught, all right? All truth that we receive is to bring us into higher levels of function. All truth must bring us into higher levels of function. When you were a child, you thought as a child, you behaved as a child. When you grow up, you're supposed to put away childish things, right? When you have better understanding, your lifestyle, your decisions, your behavior is supposed to adjust accordingly. I didn't know this before. Now I know it, so I have adjusted to reflect what it is that I now know. This means that there are times when we take a hard look and we ask ourselves the hard questions. I'll give you a good example of this. As I was teaching you the classes on the spiritual roots of disease, one of the scriptures that we use is the curse causeless does not come. From Proverbs, right? The curse causeless does not come. When we began to delve into that and get an understanding that these things don't show up in your life arbitrarily, they show up when there's open door and opportunity for them to show up. What does that do to us? That puts a responsibility on us. To begin to see, okay, where did I leave the door open? Or where did my grandma leave the door open? I still got to go close it. And what adjustments do I need to make to go bring this thing in the back into proper order? So this means we ask ourselves the hard questions. How did I get here? Let's quit blaming the president and Congress and the economy and the oil companies and whatever else and my mama and my daddy and my neighborhood, and my job, and you don't understand, and quit blaming, blaming, blaming. You know, let's just quit that. Anybody can blame. It requires no effort, no thought. But it's time to take responsibility. These are the cards you're dealt, so let's play with them. Let's deal with what we've got to. So instead of blaming everybody else and everything else, let's take sober analysis of how I got here. How did I get in this situation, and what do the parables of Jesus have to say to me? What is it that Jesus is trying to bring out of me in my current situation that produces kingdom lifestyle? What is it he is after in the midst? Let's take a hard look and see what's going on. And this also brings us to repentance. You know, repentance is something you can do like that fast. 
Repentance means you stop agreeing with the devil. It means you say, you know what, I don't agree with that spirit of fear anymore. I don't agree with that rebellion anymore. I don't agree with my pride anymore. I just fall out of agreement right now, and I choose to walk in the opposite of it. That's repentance, okay? And it also means from repentance, that means that we've got to change. Repentance is a word that means to change direction. So that means I need to think about a new plan because I don't want to fall back into that old stuff. So I need to have a new plan of behavior. If my previous plan got me in this mess, and I'm in a current mess, and I want to repent, then I need a new plan to get out of this mess. Isn't that right? Okay. When we begin to decode the parables of Jesus and understand spiritual truth, it's going to cause radical human change and action. You don't walk away going, oh, that was a nice story. You walk away going, I have to change. Something is changed. Amen? We got to have change. What does he say? He says, if you see with the eyes, see with the eyes means to decode. It means to understand, get a grasp on what the principle is of the parable, what he's teaching. And it says to turn. That means to repent. And we're going to walk away and do something new. That's reformation. When they turn, what does he say here? When they turn, I will heal. When they turn, I'll heal. When we repent, we take that hard look at our situation. We look at the scripture, what it teaches. We realize how we're reaping something we didn't want to reap. There's something going on in our lives that has to change. We get revelation, insight of what needs to be different. And we turn, we decide, okay, God, I'm going to do it your way. I need to learn a new way of behaving. He takes action to heal. He takes action to heal when we have decided to repent. We have decided to turn and to do things his way. He is turning to bring correction, healing, deliverance. In in the scriptures in Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 and 5, it says, The Lord has given me the tongue of the disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with the word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. That was Isaiah 54 and 5. He says, morning by morning, I went to listen. Morning by morning means regular listening. Regular listening to what the Lord's got to say. Regular looking to the word of God. And he says, he's going to open my ears. That is, he's going to give you your decoder. So you're going to get it. So that when you read the scripture or you hear his voice, it's going to suddenly be open to you. And now you know. And now you understand. Have those aha moments. You ever have those? I've had those. Reading the Bible. Prayer. I've had those talking to my kids. Talking to people on the phone, right? All of a sudden, an aha from the Holy Spirit. Aha. Oh, this is it. And then once you've got revelation, you can make decisions based upon that revelation regular listening he opens our ears and it's really important the next part Isaiah says and I was not disobedient I was not disobedient when you and I we get a revelation we understand that means we are to be obedient to that revelation because we're held responsible for the things that we know and understand to be true right if you didn't know it that's one thing but if the spirit of God has shown it to you and you know it hey Now, we need to be responsible to be obedient so that we'll have the manifestation of what we need from the Word in our lives. 
It is a process of illumination, regular listening and obedience. The kingdom of God is going to advance as you and I individually and collectively begin to get revelation from the word of God. We gain clarity, understanding, insight, and we begin to move forward. You see, what we need for revival, what we need for change in our society is we need the church to get it. We need the people of God begin walking in the principles that Jesus taught. What would, the, what would our society be like if people did what Jesus said? I mean, let's just break it down, get way past society. What would the local church look like if people obeyed the red words of the Bible? I mean, that's simple. How about things like, if you're offended with your brother, you go to them, not everybody else. How about things like that? How about things like, you know, uh, you that are overtaken in a, uh, you, no, excuse me, if you see someone overtaking a fault, you that are spiritual, go to them. How about if we did that one? I don't want to go to nobody. I ain't telling nobody nothing. Well, I guess you're not very spiritual there. You know, it's like if we just read the parts of the Bible and how would that change? We are to know and to operate in divine principles. God is using the church as change agent on the earth. You know, this is not, we're not talking about frivolous involvement with the Word of God. There are a lot of people who play at church. They play at Bible study. They play at stuff. You know, it's a, it's a nice thing to fill your time. Well, it's a nice social thing. I've heard people say they go to the church because of, that's where their friends go. Well, my goodness, that's no reason. I'm, we could go to Pizza Hut. I mean, you know, why? If that's where your friends go, you know. But there are, there are people who get frivolously involved in the things of God. They get involved in church. They get involved in ministry. They get involved because they're not serious about the kingdom of God changing them or society. They're only in it for what they can personally get. They want to get something personally. They'll serve others until they get their own. They don't have a dedication to the kingdom. Jesus taught a parable about the pearl of great price. Remember? In the pearl of great price, what did he do? The man discovered it, and then what he did? Sold everything he had so that he'd get that because it was that important to him. And that is the picture that is to be our heart towards the kingdom of God. This is not something that we dabble with on the weekends. This is something that is so precious, that is so important, that we build our lives upon it that it, di- it directs and determines the decisions that we, makes, that we make. It's dependent upon this pearl of great price of revelation that we have found in the kingdom of God. When people are frivolous as believers, it's related to their comfort zone. You know, people who are frivolous about church attendance, about, about forgiveness, about adhering to the principles of the word, when they kind of half-hearted and take it and leave it, that's related to their own comfort. Whatever they feel like doing at the moment is what they do. Do you know that in America there are a lot of frivolous believers? But in some countries, how many of you think in the nation of Sudan there are any frivolous believers? It costs those people their very lives to be a believer. You don't have half-hearted Christians there who take parts of the Bible they like and parts they don't like. You have people so dedicated to the kingdom of God. They lose their lives. They watch their children die. They are tormented and persecuted. And there is no easy, well, I think I'll go to church stuff about it. It's precious, very precious to them.
I think about the Sudanese when I think about that scripture. It was from 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most be pitied. You know, in America, we've heard a lot about, well, if you serve the Lord, he'll heal your body, he'll meet your financial needs, he'll take care of all your problems, you won't have to sweat, you won't have to worry. Preach that in Sudan. Preach that in communist China. It doesn't work very well because they don't understand that. They understand survival. That's where they live right now is survival. And they are, many of them are seeing tremendous miracles because God's coming through to them. But they're not in it for the comfort. They're in it because of dedication and sold out to Jesus Christ. That's why they're in it. You see, that's why I get nervous about Christians in America. There are too many people, they get offended. You preach, up, preach something a little bit tough, they get mad and offended. I ain't going to go to church no more. Blah, blah, blah. Do you know what? People in other nations, they give their lives to be able to go to church. You see, there's too much of a frivolity that comes in our country. You know, I don't want us to see us, you know, I appreciate the freedom that we've got. But I think sometimes we need to consider what's happening with brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. And just consider the price that some people pay for what we enjoy so freely and easily. Mark chapter 4. Let's flip over there. Matthew 24. Um, excuse me, Mark 4, verse 24. And Jesus was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. 25. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Take care of what you listen to. For the standard of measure that you give is the same standard that gets measured back to you. Think about what's the standard of measure. You know, if um, probably in your kitchen you have a standard measuring cup. And a standard measuring cup means it holds a specified number of ounces, right? My cup doesn't have three ounces and yours have ten. There is a standard measure. And in, and in the United States, we agree upon what constitutes one cup of liquid or one cup of flour. It's all agreed upon. That's how come you can have recipes in a book and you can take a recipe from anywhere else in the country and you follow the ingredients and you get the same results, right? Because we're using the same standard. So the standard is something that has been externally applied. So we have all, somebody back in the day, I don't know when, decided what a cup was and what a half a cup was and said, this is the standard, and so all the rest of us adjusted to it, and we don't think twice about it. It calls for a cup of milk. You use a cup of milk. You don't worry about it, right? Okay, Jesus says, for the same measure of standard of measure that you use, that same standard is being measured back to you. The standard is what value do you place? You know, we value a cup of being, what, eight ounces? Okay? We value it, eight ounces. That's how you know it's a cup, because it's eight ounces. What value is the measure that you place upon what he is teaching? What value, the value that you apply to it is that same value that you get back to it. Does that make sense? That's what he says. 
So the same value that you and I apply to the Word of God and to the things of God, to the work that God's doing in our lives, to the gifts of the Spirit, what value do you place to prophecy? What value do you place to speaking in tongues? What value do you place with church attendance? But what value do you put to it? We know we have varying levels of value, don't we? Let's be honest, we do. Some things we value a lot more than other things. But he says, is according to how you value it, is according to what you get back. That's why the word says, despise not prophesying. Because if you despise prophesying, what are you going to get back? You're not going to get back very good prophesying, for one thing, or you're going to get none at all. If we'll put value and we'll show respect to prophecy and to prophesiers, right? That means we don't pop our gum and wander to the bathroom when somebody is prophesying. You'd be amazed how badly people behave. But if we show respect to prophecy, show respect to the Spirit of God as He is moving, then we, have, we put ourselves in a position to receive back in that same measure. We had a prophetic word tonight that was talking about that as we have assigned esteem to the name of the Lord, that understood that he was giving esteem back to us. How highly do you want the Lord to treat you and think of you? I thought it was very interesting because nobody knew what I was preaching tonight except me and the Holy Spirit. And yet that's the word that came out tonight. The value you place is the value that you're getting back. You see, we pray, place, you can place great value on the things of the kingdom of God and those that you will reap in kind the same way. What is God doing in you? Do you value what God has been doing within you, with the work that God has put within you? Do you value the prophecies he has already sent into your life, the dreams he's already given you, the teaching he's already given you, the counsel, the deliverance, the work he's already been doing in you? Do you value that? Or is it like, eh, whatever? You know, it amazes me. I mean, I, I, if you are just take a look at the cross-section of people that you know have been serving the Lord for any, any length of time, and you can always see that those who put value on the things of God are light years behind, above and farther along than those who don't. Those who believe the word when it's taught, they don't argue with it, they don't fight it, they don't make excuses, well, that don't work for me, blah, blah, blah. They just receive it, believe it, and do it. Guess what? It works in their lives. People that say, that's a bunch of garbage, I don't believe that, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't work for them. Lo and behold, right? But we see the same thing. You put value in it, it's going to work for you. What is taking place on the inside of you determines how far you can go. What is taking place inside of you as God is dealing with you, as you are hearing the scriptures, as you're applying the word, what's happening inside of you is determining what's going to happen later in your life. If right now you are fussing and fighting and arguing and, and having a bad attitude towards the word, towards the people that are speaking into your life, towards whatever is going on with you spiritually, if you're fussing and fighting and kicking against it, all you're doing is making life harder for yourself. You're not going to get the blessing and result that you want. You know, I heard um, sometimes people have talked about how that 
and I've done it. I've talked about God working on me, dealing with me to obey him on an issue, and I'm just kicking and screaming, I don't want to, I don't want to. And to, until the Lord stopped me one day and said, you're supposed to delight to do my will. And when he said it to me, it just cut me in my heart. Because in my heart, I didn't want to oppose his will. I was just struggling with the whole big picture concept of the whole thing that he was talking to me about. Do you know that if our heart's in the right place, we're not going to fight against him. Whatever he says, give this up, give that up. Okay, okay, okay. Because we know. Whenever, whenever the Lord asks you for something, it's because it's a seed. He's asking you to give a sacrifice that he may give back. One of the hardest struggles for me to give up was Isaac on the altar. I want to share this with you for just a moment because it it's going to help some of you. Isaac was the promised son of Abraham, right? Abraham waited a long time to get Isaac, long time. Heard about him for years and years and years. Took a very long time for him to show up. Isaac shows up, the very son of promise, the very thing God's promised him, finally arrives. For years and years, life is good. It's all happy. It's all glorious. Praise God. God's come through. He promised and delivered the very thing, right? And then one day, God says, you know that thing I promised you? I want it back. Give it to me. But God. You know, Abraham didn't do that. Abraham didn't go, but God. You gave this to me. I, sh- I rebuke you, devil. I should stand and fight. You gave this to me. No, Abraham said, let's go. And was ready. He pulled out the knife to give, offer sacrifice his own son, right? Abraham did not argue when God said, give me back the ministry, the thing, the promise, that which was birthed by my spirit, give it back. I had to lay an Isaac on the altar one time. That was hard. It was hard. Because you see, my life was invested in that thing. Do you understand that Abraham's life was invested in Isaac? Not only had he waited 25 years for him to show up, he was at least 13. It had been at least 33 years, 35 at least, when this happened, if not longer. God might ask you to give up something you've had for a very long time, something you know he gave you. I've talked to people, and they've, God has been asking them, Isaac on the altar, and they won't give. They won't give, and they say, no, that's the devil. I'm like, no, that's God. I'm like, no, that's the devil. I said, no, that's God. And you better give it when he asks for it. You know, the Bible says that Abraham expected to receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham knew enough about the faithfulness of God. He knew that if God asked him for something he'd already given him, he was going to return it to him better. He'd have had a resurrected son. Now, wouldn't that be something to tell at the family reunion, right? Wouldn't that be something to, to tell all the neighbors? I got a resurrected son. But you know, a lot of times we can't see that because all we see is right here and right now. There are times that God will ask every one of us to give him back the very thing that he gave us. 
And our hearts need to be so full of the Word of God and, and trained up and taught in God's principles to where we go, okay, here you go. And maybe with tears, but ready to give without holding back because you know him who asked it of you. Right? Amen. Amen. The prime enemy, folks, we have is disobedience. The prime enemy is disobedience. Jesus said in verse 25, whoever has, more will be given. Whoever does not have, even what he has should be taken away from him. What God has done on the inside of us, if we will say yes and cooperate and add value to that, he will multiply it back to us even more. Every painful, difficult lesson that you and I have learned, it has enriched and sweetened our relationship with the Lord. It's gotten us past our carnality and our selfishness and our pride. How many of you know I'm telling the truth? Because what happens when you are asked to sacrifice? What happens when you're having to go through some challenges in learning obedience to the scriptures? It breaks stuff off of you. And God's always after breaking things off of us that are keeping us bound up. He's after our freedom. And sometimes you and I don't know how bound we are until we get put in a situation that shows us the truth about ourselves. I don't know who I'm talking to exactly, but I know I'm talking to some people here tonight. Okay, it's not, on the lo- it's not on the notes. This is hot off the press. Hot off the press means somebody's fingers are going to get burned, right? Hot bread, fresh out of the oven, it smells good, but it'll burn you at first, won't it? Okay, look at verse 13 of Mark 4. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? If we don't understand the parable of the sower, then we can't understand all the rest of them. This one is a key one to understanding the rest. And what he's teaching here is we need to understand the truth contained in all of his parables so that we can move into a kingdom advance because it's hidden from those people. It's decoded by us so that he may bring reformation and change not only into our lives, into our churches, into our society. Reformation, it's a skeletal adjustment, changing back, to original intent and design. Now let's look at Matthew 13. Matthew 13. We're going to start with verse 3. We are decoding kingdom secrets. We're learning about this tonight. Matthew 13, 3. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell in the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. How many of you noticed that the sower went out to sow? He didn't go out to reap. He went out to sow. I think sometimes we want to go out to reap. But he went out to sow. How do you know, why was he called a sower? Because of what he was doing. 
right? Your actions are determining what you believe and what you think. His identity is, is, is clarified because of what he's doing. They didn't say the reaper went out to sow. They said the sower went out to sow. So he was identified by his actions. Let me ask you a little note here in the parentheses. Are you a believer or a doubter? If I look at your actions right now, are you a believer or a doubter? Would I say you're sowing? Would I say you're reaping? Would I say, what would I say? If I looked at you and say, oh, there's a man of faith, there's a woman of integrity, or would I say, well, there's somebody that's barely scraping by this week, somebody that's kind of, you know, not too sure, somebody shaky. Are you a believer or a doubter? How would I know? I can't judge what's in your heart, so how would I know? How would I know if you're in faith right now or not? It's going to be by what I see and what I hear. Is that true? How do we know when somebody's in faith? It's what they're doing and what they're saying. Mm -hmm. How do we know when you're in fear? It's by what they're saying and what they're doing. How do we know if they're in faith? It's what's coming out of the mouth. It's consistent with what the actions are. Somebody who says, oh, when I make a million dollars, I'm going to tithe the church, but they don't tithe on their $100 right now, is a liar. It's a liar. You're deceiving yourself because you're saying one thing, but your actions do not line up. If you do not tithe when you make $100, you will not tithe when you make a million dollars. Multiple, multiple stories attest to this, okay? It's those who are faithful in small things, Jesus said, are made ruler over much. We want to wait till we become the ruler over much to become faithful. It don't work that way. It don't work that way at all. You are tested in the small things to see if you're faithful. And then when you have proven yourself faithful, you are given more. That's a principle of the Word of God, right? Okay. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 11.4, He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the cloud will not reap. There are people who do not take action. They do not follow the Word of God. They do not operate the principles because it doesn't look convenient. It doesn't look to be the right time. And they can give you all kinds of reasons why now's not a good time. You know what? There's always obstacles. If you, you know what? If you want, if you want to do a thing, you'll make time. If you don't want to do it, You'll find 15 things to do. Why not to? Cleaning your garage. There's a good illustration. <laughs> right? Everybody relates to cleaning the garage. If you really want to do it, you'll make time to do it. If you really don't want to do it, you've got 47 other things much more pressing than cleaning the garage. That's the truth, right? Okay. Here it is. The sower goes out to sow. One who sows has what kind of attitude? What kind of attitude would be somebody who goes out into a field and is carrying a big sack of seed? Have you seen the old, old style thing where they had the, bas the, the um, what do you call it, a little burlap thing around, around them and they just tip, you know, pitch it like this back and forth and just walk up and down and old-fashioned sowing? What is the attitude of somebody who is sowing seed, just throwing it out there? The attitude is optimism, yes. The attitude is one of faith. They're expecting these things are going to go in the ground. They're going to sprout up. I'm going to have a big harvest, right? 
because they're going out there in anticipation of a harvest. Even if they get tired, they still sow. They still sow. They still sow. They persist. They persist because we're going to get it out there. I still got, you know, five more acres to do. We still got to go. There's persistence, there's faith, and there's anticipation of a harvest is the attitude of a sower. And the sower in this parable, he talks about the seed falls in four, ground, four areas, right? The sower has faith that at least one out of four of those seeds is going to produce. How many seeds do you and I, we got one seed in the ground? That one better do it. <laughs> That's not the attitude of a sower, is it? The attitude of a sower is to be liberal and, and you know, count on one out of four. You, you talk to four of your friends about the Lord Jesus. You're doing good if one accepts, right? According to this, these statistics, you pray for four or six people, one gets well. You preach to four people about deliverance. One decides, yes, I'm going to take it and walk in it. You know, so much time we get discouraged one out of four. But Jesus said that one out of four will produce 30, 60, 100 fold. Do you know that for every four people that are sitting here listening tonight, one of you is going to get it. Three of you may not. Good for you. <laughs> and you're going to get it and you're going to produce 30, 60, 100? 100 fold. Going to make it bear fruit. You see, the same word gets preached. The same word gets thrown out there. But it doesn't land in the same place because people's hearts are not in the same place. People's attitudes are not the same. That's why I said I've seen some people get it. The ones that get it, they really produce. The ones that don't blame everybody else and say that stuff don't work. Folks, it's not that stuff don't work. It's the condition of the heart that it falls upon. The sower has faith that a few will fall in good places. During this sowing, there is direct spiritual attack. Look in verse 4. The birds came and ate it up. The birds will come to steal the word. They will come to make sure that you don't get it. They're going to take it from you so you don't, so that you don't receive anything. We're talking about demon spirits come do this. We have, then it says, some fall in rocky places, don't have much soil. You've got hard places in the heart. This is warfare in the hearts of people, stuff going on that makes them not receptive to the word of God. And then we have that that springs up among the thorns, and the thorns choke them out. You know, you've been in a hostile environment where that can be traditions of men, it can be culture, it could be whatever, where things are coming in that are pushing upon us, that are trying to steal the harvest from us. But the sower is sowing anyway. He knows three-quarters of this seed is going in the weeds, it's going in the rocks, and it's going on the pathway, and he still sows it. He still gets it out there. The sower knows that once he throws it out, he can only stop so many birds from taking part of it away. He can't spend his whole time flushing away birds from somebody. He says, you know what? If they don't receive it, they don't receive it. I can only do so much, you know? Sometimes we are tried so hard to fight other people's demons to try to get them away because we want them to receive so much. And sometimes we've got to understand it is their heart too. You know, their heart that's receptive too to the Word of God. And there are times I know that the devil has come to try to steal the word of God that's been sown in me. 
and I knew it was coming, and it was not anybody else's responsibility but my own to make sure that that didn't happen. It was my responsibility to take the Word of God, to receive it in my heart, to add my yes and amen to it, and to apply it. It wasn't anybody else's responsibility. And sometimes we try to make it somebody else's responsibility. We try to get somebody else to talk us into it or to carry us through. And you know what? It's time to grow up past that, folks. It's not their responsibility. It's ours. Notice that the sower is also, he's, he is abandoning himself to a process that he has no control over. All he knows is his job is to get it out there. His job is to get the seed sown. It's not up to him when it rains. It's not up to him how long it takes to germinate. It's not up to him about all this stuff. He says, I can do what I can do. And what I can do is get the word out there. You know what, folks? There are all kinds of things in my life and your life that we don't have control over. There are things that we have to deal with that we wish we didn't have to deal with. I mean, sometimes you're just suffering because of other folks. You know, some people did something, now you've got to deal with some mess, you know. But the thing is, we're going to take our responsibility, deal what we need to, but expect that God's Word works in all circumstances. In every situation, God is faithful to me no matter what has been dumped upon my doorstep. God is faithful to me, even if in less than ideal conditions. So what does the sower do? He starts the process going because he wants to reap, right? Why is he doing this? Because he wants to reap. He wants to harvest. So he starts this process of sowing the word of God that he may get a harvest. He sows it, and he's sending the word with movement, with direction, with destination. He's not haphazard as far as he's not, he, he's not haphazard in the sense of, of lackadaisical attitude towards the scripture, towards the word, but he's taking the word, and he is deliberately putting it out there. Folks, put the word out there. Begin to decree, prophesy, speak, and declare the word of God into your circumstances, and into our nation, and into it. Sow it out there. It's going to land on some good ground somewhere. It's going to produce somewhere. All right. The earth is what reacts with the seed to produce. Our responsibility is get it out there. Is get it out there. And he doesn't just sow one time, but he sows and sows and sows and sows until it gets out there. Let's flip back over to Mark chapter 4. Mark 4, verse 26. You got your decoders out? It's to, you begin to decode and translate all of the metaphors. Mark 4, 26. And he was saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. 28. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. We also need to understand what season we're in. There is a progressive nature that goes between the time of sowing and the time of reaping, right? It's progressive. You don't sow today and reap in 30 minutes. There's a season of time that happens. If we understand that we're only in the bud stage, we won't be frustrated because there's no harvest yet. If we understand that we've got the flower but we don't have the fruit yet, we won't be frustrated because there's no harvest yet. 
Well, understand that these things take a process of time. But so much of the time we've gotten frustrated because God was trying to say, look, you just got the blade showing yet. It's just starting to take root. It's just starting to bring some life and some change. And so we've gotten frustrated because we didn't get the results fast enough. Hello. Anybody besides me get a little tired of that? You know, we're a little bit faster, a little bit faster. We see when God's not after you having a green harvest, (laughs) but a full mature harvest. Okay. In actual literal sowing and reaping, Celebrations are few. The guy sows in early spring. He doesn't reap for months. There's no celebration for months. Isn't that true? Mm -hmm. How many times does we want to sow today? We want to celebrate today. But there's a process of time. And there's a lot of work, sweat, and tears before harvest time. Because not only does he sow, he's got to go out there and hoe and get rid of the weeds and water and pick off the grub worms or whatever else he's got to do until harvest time comes. And so there is a process of time. And that means he's got an awful lot of work to do before he gets to that time of harvest. But so much of the time, we have forgotten about the process. and We thought, well, I sowed it. I should be having my harvest party now. And it's not time yet. And we've not understood the work that was involved to get from point A to point V, B. You see, we understand, or point V as the case may be. Uh, you know, the thing is that, see, we gotta, we've got to understand how God works and these principles. If you and I really had revelation of the parables of Jesus, we wouldn't be near as frustrated as we are, as we are right now. If we understood about the sower sowing and the process of time and the percentages, we wouldn't be so frustrated. If we understood, all right, there is a commitment to sacrifice, there is a gird for battle, there is a, there is a time of force that is involved in getting ready for harvest. But what happens when the harvest is ready, there's an awareness takes place. When the sower, after a period of time, he knows the harvest is ready, guess what he does? He changes his actions. No longer is he throwing things out there. He's going and getting it in. He's bringing it in. There's a change of action as he's changed his role in life. There are some things that you and I do that are temporary seasons in our lives, right? For example, we've got some of you here got little tiny babies. You know, for a while, you're, you're raising that baby. You're changing their diapers. You're teaching them to talk and walk and all that stuff. You know, that's a temporary season. When it's done, it's done. You move on to a different season of your life. And you appreciate each season. But you understand, it's not the same now. It's very different now. You and I need to understand what season we're in and the process of life and the process of time so we can better cooperate with it and change to have appropriate action. You don't have to look this up. This is my last scripture, Isaiah 55, 10, 11. It's a real familiar scripture. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. 
the Lord God has sent his word into the earth and into our lives. And he says it's going to produce. The only thing is, where is it going to produce? Is it going to produce in you? Is it going to produce in you or nowhere? It's going to produce somewhere. The word has no reverse gear. It doesn't go back. God has sent it out there. It is on its way. And if it falls in good's ground, if it falls among people that understand that see, that understand, that get what the Word is saying, that apply their hearts and change their lifestyles in cooperation, that's where it's going to bear fruit. That's where it's going to bring change and transformation. The Word of God does not get discouraged. It's out there. It's going. It's looking for a place to produce. God has sent forth His Word, and the Word I'm preaching tonight is looking for a place to land. It's looking for a heart that it can, that will receive it, that it can take hold of and bring change and bring a harvest that brings glory to God. The kingdom lifestyle, folks, works in any environment. It doesn't matter if you live in Sudan or the U.S. It doesn't matter if you're the only one saved in your family or not. It doesn't matter if you're working with Christians or a bunch of atheists. It doesn't matter. The kingdom of God works wherever you are. It's time to take the authority of God's word, to speak it, to declare it, to determine this is God is faithful. It works in my life. It's going to produce, and I'll make the adjustments I need to make so that it does happen in my life. You know, it works for you because you choose to cooperate with it. That's how it works. We've got to quit being envious and jealous of other people that it's working for and start imitating them and start imitating their faith. They're doing something right. Amen? They're doing something right. I was, that's what I was testifying about. You know, when, when Cherie got healed that one time, I was like, she gets healed so fast. If you're not getting healed real fast, go talk to her. Find out what she's doing. What is it? Attitude, something inside of her that makes her so responsive to healing, something that you're not getting. Let's imitate one another's faith. Provoke one another to love and good works, the Bible says. Not to become jealous and critical, and what are they doing wrong, and they must be the favorites. But let's look and say, you know what? The Word of God is going to work. What do I need to learn from this situation to see it produce in my life? So let me ask you, what value do you place on the Word? What measure have you attached to it? What value are you placing to the Word that's being preached to you? that value of the word that you have read in the scripture. What about what value do you place on faith? Are you tired of hearing about faith? Are you tired of listening to me tell you you need to be strong in faith? Are you tired of hearing about that stuff? Or do you want to take strength from it? Is faith a valuable commodity? Or is it something that only works for those people? Okay. What about spiritual principles? Do you take value or do you pick and choose the ones that you like the best? Do we have value so that we're going to receive it and also receive a harvest back. <coughs> how has the Word of God changed how you live? How has the Word of God changed how you face difficulty? Has it changed you? Or do you behave just like the rest of the people down there that don't know God, that haven't been taught the things you've been taught? It all depends upon what value you have placed upon the Word. You see, we've got to quit blaming God and quit saying it doesn't work, and God, you cheated, and you lied, and you didn't tell me. That is not true. The truth is God's word always works. If it's not working, we have to look inside and say, where in my heart is there a blockage? And let's get it right. And this calls for repentance. And you know what? Everybody needs to repent. We all got to repent. You know, repent's easy. 
We got to do it. Because you know what? I want to face difficulty the way that Jesus faced difficulty. You know what? When, when I look at the, the heroes of the Bible, they faced all the same types of challenges that you and I face. All of them, right? They faced all kinds of things. How did they overcome? They didn't have near as much Bible teaching of you as you have had. Right? How many think you had more Bible teaching? Certainly more New Testament than any Old Testament guy. You had more than David, more than Joshua, right? Most of these people in the New Testament, they didn't even have anything but the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't have the New Testament scriptures yet, right? But we look at Stephen. How about Stephen, the first martyr of the church, who worked miracles? What did he have to go on? Old Testament and stories of Jesus, right? Let's, let's take what we have been given and use it and work with it. Are you being changed into a more kingdom-minded person? Now, what's happening? Are you, learning, are you learning the secrets of the kingdom? Is it changing your life? I want us to pray. I know this is one of these convicting messages, these things that I know. But I'm after us getting out of the doldrums, out of the ruts, out of the pain, and out of denial. Okay, let's get out of that mess. And let's get into producing that God may be glorified. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you, Lord God, that you would grant us the grace to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. I ask, Lord God, that you give us the grace to obey you in every circumstance, to receive the truth of the parables of Jesus and to learn what we need to learn, to apply what we need to apply that, Lord God, that we will see a harvest of righteousness, that, Lord, that when you look upon us, you see kingdom men and women, men and women who stand strong in the face of adversity, who see miracles and healings and solutions, men and women who do not whine and complain and feel sorry for themselves, but men and women who encourage one another, who love one another, who believe the best about one another, and who are strong in faith and give glory to God. And even in the midst of difficulty and challenge, that, Lord God, we declare that you are faithful and that you are good. And, Lord God, I pray for everyone whose Isaac is on the altar right now, that, Lord, you give them the grace to release it, no strings attached, to give it up to you, no strings attached, for you to return if and when you choose. But if not, it's still yours anyway. Hallelujah. Father, I ask, Lord, that you give us the grace, Lord, to humble ourselves, to learn, to grow, and to mature. And, Lord, I ask you to also give us the grace to forgive ourselves for our short, shortcomings and our mistakes, for our errors, for all the places where we've just not measured up. Lord, I ask you to just give us the grace to forgive ourselves. Hallelujah. Father, we are so thankful for Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that your blood has covered every inadequacy, every failure, every shortcoming, every mistake. Lord Jesus, your blood is sufficient enough to cleanse us from every act of disobedience, from every bit of whining and complaining, for every bit of fear, for every bit of strife, for every bit of 
evil. Lord, your blood is enough to cleanse us, and we receive, Lord God, tonight. Lord God, we receive cleansing and forgiveness by the precious blood of Jesus. Lord God, I ask you that you cause us to buck up to be strong soldiers, that we'd rise up, Lord God, and know that your word does prevail. Be it unto us according to your word. Lord, we take the word of God and we apply value to it. And I pray, Father God, that it would bear a very rich harvest in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Well, I'm looking forward to seeing hundredfold returns. I'm looking forward for those who have not been receiving answers to prayer, who have not been receiving miracles and healings, who have not been receiving wisdom. I'm looking for all that to change. I'm looking for good reports to come. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Destiny Spirit Church or additional teaching CDs or training events, please visit our website at www.destinyspirit.com or you can write to us at Destiny Spirit Church, P.O. Box 15252, Chesapeake, Virginia, 23328. Thank you.